Stay tuned to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. You may be left speechless. Film at 11. This is not I've been dreaming of forever The mirror takes a look at my face I'll never set foot in that rat hole again But I'll drive to your place A spit gravel is a back out of the back door And the twenties roll around Good afternoon. You're listening to The Living Writers Show. My name is T. Hetzel, and today I'm sitting in the studio with Stephen Gillis. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the program. Thanks for coming. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Great. <laughs> um, well, as a way of introduction to, to start off, um, I'm going to read your, your bio okay. um, to everyone. Um, Steve also, later in the program, will be reading from his short story collection, Giraffes. Um, so we'll hear one of the short stories in full, right, Steve? In full. It's a shorter, a shorter short story. A short, we, can, <laughs> we can make it through the whole thing, yes. Great, great. So some, something to stay, stay tuned for. Um, Stephen Gillis is the author of the novels Water, Walter Falls and The Weight of Nothing, both finalists for the Independent Publishers Book of the Year and Forward Magazine Book of the Year 2003 and 2005. Steve's third novel, Temporary People, will be published by Black Lawrence Press in 2008. And and also there'll be another short story. Uh, your second short story collection right. will also be published by Black Lawrence Press, but in 2009. Correct. They right. just they just acquired it, which is cool. Yes. 2009. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. That's a, so breaking news here on the Living <laughs> Writers show. <laughs> um, Steve's stories, articles and book reviews have appeared in over 3 dozen journals a six-time Pushcart nominee, and a four-time Best of Notable Stories. A collection of Steve's stories titled Giraffes was published in February 2007. A member of the Ann Arbor Book Festival Board of Directors and a finalist for the 2007 Ann Arbor News Citizen of the Year. Steve teaches writing at Eastern Michigan University and is the founder of 826 Michigan. Um, that website is www.826michigan.org and the co-founder of Dezank Books, uh, and that's dezankbooks.org, um, in partnership with Dan Wickett, co-founder. All proceeds from Steve's writing goes to his nonprofit programs. Um, if you'd like to contact Steve, you can reach him at steve at dezankbooks.org, and I'll spell that for you. It's, it's slightly tricky, D-Z-A-N-C-B-O-O-K-S dot org um again steve welcome well thank you so so do you hail from michigan i do i was born in detroit 100 years ago um way yeah, back when way back. <laughs> the oil uh, of boulet is working there then. you go thank you yes um yeah i grew up in michigan i uh, went to school in detroit and then we moved out to the to the burbs when i was in high school and i went to undergrad at u of m and then i went all around the country 
Oh, traveling, traveling well, I went see to the a, see the country like with a backpack well, or no, no, no. Were you listening to <laughs> those <laughs> friends that? are now laughing because no, I don't. Roughing it for me is uh, when the refrigerator's empty. So, oh, okay. um, no, I went out to I went out to San Francisco. I went to law school in San Francisco. I lived in Arizona for a while. I lived in uh, D.C. for a while. And having seen those parts of the country, I realized that Ann Arbor's really the coolest coolest place and where I wanted to be. And there is a Midwestern sensibility too. So when I was in California, I enjoyed being out there, but I wanted to get back to the to the Midwest. So yeah, it's when you were out there. Did you have that that nice sense of that out being an outsider in some ways? Well, it's a different. Curiously enough, it, it uh, in San Francisco there are a lot of people from Michigan. I don't. I, I, seem to gravitate there from University of Michigan in fact but you do have a sense it's it is laid back it is a different attitude toward work it is a different uh, a different mindset I enjoyed my time out there but uh, when it came time to consider where I wanted to live and I actually got some job offers to stay out there um, I decided I just I, I didn't want to I didn't want to live in Cal I didn't want to settle in California yeah so you decided to come home to come home well you know that doesn't surprise me at all Steve because um, you're it's your, your, from your biography that we've just heard, um, and the, the the bits and pieces that I know about you now, not to sound <laughs> kind of spooky or anything, but but you're you're community focused. You're 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 a man of the the people here in Ann Arbor, uh, the writing community. Um, well, least. you're I founder of Eight Two Six Michigan, co-founder of, of an independent publishing. Um, House Design now based Desank, right. out of based in Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor, um, Westland. Yeah, we've got my partners in Westland. We do. We have two two home bases. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, it's 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 Ann Arbor. We're here. We're here in, in the Midwest in in Ann Arbor. Um, I enjoy doing things. It's it's kind of uh, an interesting dynamic because um, on the one hand, my personality is such where I'm uh, I'm not I'm not introverted, but I I, I like. As a writer, I like being by myself and, and, and working. I don't get lonely. People always ask, don't you get lonely during your day writing? And it never enters my head. No, I like I like my life. I like writing and, and being able to focus on my work. What's I, your schedule like, Steve? Is it sort of where you you write for hours in the morning or what? Um... I'm, a, I'm a morning person. I get up I get up ridiculously early and I go for a run. And I've been doing that forever. And then I start my writing day and I write. And so my, my other... Uh, endeavors come in the in the later afternoon again people who know me know that i don't answer the phone until after three and so i, I do emails during the day as you know but otherwise it's it's my work day, my, my writing day and then in the evenings the afternoons and evenings i focus on eight to six at the time i was doing eight to six and now on the zank books and well, and why? Why did? And you're also on the the ann arbor book festival board of directors. on the board of directors there's definitely work there it's uh it's more seasonal, but uh, there's work to do year round. But when when the when the date approaches uh, a few months before, there's a lot of work. I just finished doing the uh, I, I run the uh, short story contest for the book festival, so we just finished that up. It doesn't the winter isn't announced at the same time as the festival during the summer. We run that that in the fall actually. So the winter we just went through and um, judged that, and it'll be uh, the winter will be announced uh, in about. About a month. Oh, so you can't tell us. Today. I can't say. I can't say. Ah. <laughs> no living writer scoop on that. <laughs> where's the Where's the journalistic integrity and seriousness behind the program, right? Um, and so, so when is when is the next opportunity? When When can people send you um, sto- short stories for the Ann Arbor Book Festival? Yeah, for for the next. We'll open it up again in the spring, and we'll keep it open until for about a four month period. Um, 
it, you can go to the website, the Ann Arbor Book Festival website, and it always keeps you updated on that sort of thing. And do people have to be living in Ann Arbor? No, to it's, it's national. It's, it's oh, it's national. national. Yeah, okay. It's national kind of. Yeah. And is it usually are the are the winners um, from the past five years, not necessarily this coming year, but um, are they? Um, how often does it turn out to be someone from Ann Arbor? Um, it hasn't yet. It hasn't yet. It hasn't. No. Wow, which is interesting, right? Because we have such, such a, a, a like such a talent surrounding us. It seems. Well, we judge them blind, which which is wise, because you know I've gotten to know so many people, so they get sent in, and um, I have the executive director of the uh, book festival uh, forwards them back on to me with the names removed, and then I do the initial read, and we have other people do initial reads, and then when we whittle it down to the final 10 we have a guest judge and this year we had Ben Piercy which was a wonderful guy and a great writer and and he picked the winner and I I was glad he chose who he did so that's pretty cool oh that is good it's good when the the one you want wins as well rather than just yeah (laughs) otherwise you just have to say no try again really no No. No. could you imagine you've been a lovely guest um guest um judge but uh no thank you well actually to uh, to digress i I had a friend who who has a a publishing house himself and he had a contest that the the guest judge did not (laughs) they picked something and they were committed to publishing it and it wasn't the one that they were hoping she'd pick so it uh but if you bring in a guest judge, you got to go with. Uh, so they so they had to go with it. Then yeah. they had to. Um, so is there a community out there then of independent publishers now that you've found? Because it seems like you've got oh, yeah. these layers of writing communities in your life. Like one of them would be the Ann Arbor Book Festival um, writer community and and people and and now and with Dzank, which we'll talk about maybe more in detail later. You okay, have this cool. layer of um, independent. Publishers? Is there a community out there? There's a definite community out there. There's there's a great many wonderful, dedicated people that are doing uh, independent presses. Um, it's it's a tough road to hoe. You're generally financing it out of your own own pockets. Uh, you're committed to finding good work that the the, the big houses aren't going to touch because they know that they can't market it and make enough money because the big houses now are run as a business. And I'm not going to sit here and, and denigrate them because it has to be a business, but they're not committed to literature anymore, not as they were 10 years ago, definitely not as they were 30 years ago. I mean, you don't even see editors at these big houses anymore, uh, by and large. So these smaller presses, uh, we find the work that we know is is excellent to us. If we sell, if we sell two or 3000 copies, we're, we're jumping for joy, you know, and the bigger presses, that'd be a huge failure. So it's a different, different dynamic completely. And and so, are you saying that one of the differences at Dzank would be that there would be um, in-house editors that would work with once the writer's um, manuscript was chosen? There Definitely. would be. Well, I've just got done editing one of our books that'll be out next year, so I, I'm actually hands-on with. With, what, uh, what with book the is manuscripts. that? Would you like to tell us what book will be coming out next year? Next year we have the, the Peter. Mar- the one I'm talking about is Peter Marcus. Is called Bob a Boat. You like? You like? Get thumbs up. Yes, he's great. He's right. He's someone from Detroit. He's he's our first author that's from Detroit. Um, the other ones have been. Our first book is is Roy Kesey, um, a collection of stories called All Over, and it's it's a wonderful collection. And I didn't have to do any real hands on. Uh, Keith Taylor, who's a teacher here at Michigan, is also and poet a, and wonderful poet, poet. wonderful Taylor. writer, great guy. I call him the patron saint of writers because he's, he's he's just a wonderful human being, and a very talented man. He uh, he uh, did the what editing needed to be done on All Over, but it was fairly clean manuscript because uh, Roy's uh, works had appeared in journals all over the country. Um, 
so they'd already gone through a process. And when we, uh, when Roy sent us the manuscript, his, his writing is so. This is a perfect example. His writing is so wonderful, and yet uh, the bigger houses wouldn't touch him because what, they don't know what to do with the collection. They don't think they can sell enough, even though he's he can outright. Or how to classify it, even right? How is to market one? it? Yeah. Certainly, how to market it. Um, and as soon as we acquired uh, Roy's Roy's collection. Um, we got so many emails from people saying, "What a great idea! I'm glad you guys are doing it." So, it just shows you just gotta you just gotta go with your heart, and if you find something that you know is is excellent, go for it. Um, don't be afraid of well, how are we going. That's basically my my philosophy and my partner Dan Wickett's philosophies. If if the work is good, we're gonna go with it, and then we'll figure out what, how to how to how to sell it. Right, right. Oh, that sounds great. Then that that actually that's that's putting the heart back in it. Exactly. Right. Um, well, and, and the reason why I was so excited to to hear that the Peter Marcus's book was coming out was because Peter was on earlier oh. on the program in the summer, or we're actually well in late August, and um, and and he talked about Bob a boat and 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 read he's, from he's a great writer, he's a good guy, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's very exciting that you're you're doing so you so basically you saw a need where there there were you. And how did you see it? Was it because you felt like your own work um, wasn't fine? Like, how did you perceive? How did we decide to go with the Zank? Yeah, yeah. And what the what the heck is this is a Zank? Huh? <laughs> yeah, and we might have to take a break and come back to it. But okay. why don't you start us off? Like, how did how did you perceive it was, the need? Um, well, the need we myself and Dan recognize is always there. It was the question of uh, were we ready to to jump and and do it? But it was a it was a natural progression for both of us. Myself as a writer and Dan, who runs uh, the Emerging Writer Network, were both. This is what we love to do, and we just started talking about. It. There's so many great writers out there who can't get the doors open for them. Can't get that initial break. That uh, we decided let's just take the plunge. And we, you know, Dzank will talk about. Uh, later, as you say, but there's other things that Dzank does. It's not just a, a straight-up publisher. We do a lot of things in the community as well. Um, but from a publishing standpoint, we just we recognize there is a need, and we recognize that we could do it, and we knew enough people, and we 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 wanted to present an avenue where writers that were worthy, that were having doors shut in their face by the bigger presses, simply because bigger presses didn't know what to do with the with the manuscripts. That we could we could do something, with. and it we seems can. like um, on your website that there's a commitment also to the writer. Once you you choose a writer, it's also it could be a relationship that grows with the press. Is oh, that most is that definitely. true? We've, we've well, we've signed Roy to a second book, but beyond that, um, we do everything possible. I mean, again, myself and Dan are fairly well connected because we've been in the the writing community for a while, but we we are doing more with uh, getting Roy reviews we're sending him out on a, on a nice tour from California to New York we're doing yeah but we definitely are getting behind our writers so it's not just it's not just like a, um, a one-dimensional it's not like you have the the book like the product which is beautiful in itself but you also have the the funding you're making sure that there's the funding to to do them without the, question the, the tour the marketing there's aspect. no point in doing it if, if you don't do it that way I mean, I've had my, my first two novels um, were well received, but the publisher didn't get behind them at all. I mean, they just disappeared. Didn't do anything. And that's Brook Street Press, yeah, right? Okay, let's. We'll that's Brook Street Press. <laughs> that's right. I know. Just as we're going to start slaying, we're gonna we'll take a short break and then we'll come back and say a little bit more about them. Okay. <laughs> 
Welcome back. You're listening to The Living Writer Show. Uh, my name is T. Hetzel, and today in studio, we have Stephen Gillis. Uh, Steve brought in the music, and he's going to tell us a little bit about what, what you're listening to in the breaks today. Well, T. asked me to if I wanted to bring something in, and I went through my, my CDs, and uh, there were so many things I could bring in that, that people would be familiar with, but I'd... I've always liked this this disc, and I thought it'd be something that people probably hadn't heard before. And it's actually the actor Robert Downey Jr. Um, and it, he's phenomenal. He's playing all the instruments, and he, he's wonderful on piano. He's got he's got a nice voice, and I just enjoy it. And the man is so talented; it blows me away when people have, have that much talent. And I, I, I thought that people wouldn't have heard him or knew that he put out a disc. So I figured, what the heck, I'll bring it in. How are the lyrics too? Like the the words. We'll talk about the uh, words, the songwriting. Oh, it's nice. It's, yeah, <laughs> the words are you know, they're they're powerful. If you if you he's got that gravelly voice, so you might not be able to make it all out. But it's all it's that kind of depressing stuff that I love. And I know my <laughs> my daughter just rolled her eyes because she thinks I my writing's too depressing. But uh, <laughs> I don't think it is. I think it's uplifting. Well, but, it's, uh, when when you look at um, well, because I was looking online and Bookslut um, had read giraffes right. and said you know. It's a, it's a book of ruined lives and you know so yeah well 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 I guess that's actually a nice um well we have a chance to respond to that if you'd like I, was, I, I see I don't see it that way but right. I mean I'm always is my stuff dark it, it, it starts out from a dark place but finds its way somewhere it's uh I mean life is what it is and that's what I write about it's life I mean I guess everybody has their own perception of life obviously but my, I I see characters in a certain way. I, I, I watch them uh, stutter and stumble and uh, all trying, I hope, to do what's right. But uh, generally, we mess up even in the attempts to do so. But I, I think there's something uplift. I don't have a little happy ending. Certainly, some of my stuff falls off and you go, whoa. But uh, Well, the title story in Giraffes... Um it there's it's yeah. it's sort of um it's hopeful and not ho- it's sort of open ended you can kind of uh, it's cuz it's unclear whether uh, to me well now that get... i'm just now i'm stuttering through i'm an example <laughs> of someone <laughs> i'm ruining things right now <laughs> no um well it seems like you could you could say that there was cuz he feels still almost hopeful because mimicking the giraffe in a way and the idea that they thinks he's in love so you have this idea that there could be the love but then there's also the thinks exactly. he's in love that's so exactly it's, right yeah. sure it took him to the, the stories about his finally realizing well was I in love but then there's still that hope at the end that since she comes back that maybe now yeah they're still they're so, still talking nah, they, yeah I, yeah there, that is there's a wonderful just since we're talking about giraffes there is that um those great facts that you have you probably like with the the giraffe's head uh, uh rather the giraffe's heart is over 24 pounds on average so weighing much more than the head yeah and it's a nice and it's a it's a true fact that always works best in writing if, if something is actually true but yet it resonates as a metaphor i mean the fact that the giraffe's heart is bigger than his head well how, how true is that about most of us right you know? exactly it, yeah exa- i mean it's it is really wonderful and and at the and then, do you mind if I if I point out one more part to the sure. story? Because since you're not you're not going to read us this one, so I'm no. not giving and not like now. I'm not really <laughs> ruining it. Because <laughs> um, there's a there's a moment towards the end of giraffes where you because um, you're citing these different chemical um, uh, makeups that match well to get the pair together as another right. metaphor for people finding each other and being able to. Um, 
give up some of their atoms then to become a, a, a pair, right? right. Um, and then you have your your protagonist um, thinking of vasopressin, the chemical in the blood which promoted two animals mating exclusively for life. And then another fact you bring in, less than 3% of all animals had vasopressin. The prairie vole, yes, but neither giraffes nor humans. The majority of creatures still fundamentally feral when it came to ways of the heart. I just thought that was so nice. The rhythm there with the prairie vole, yes, and then the fundamentally feral. That was very. Well, that's true, nice. though. <laughs> and sad. Now, is that depressing? I, sad. I don't know if it's sad. It is what it is. And, there and you beautiful. Go. Yeah, there you go. Because it's a go. truth, right? What's what makes you know? What's what makes love so powerful is the fact that it's it, it, at some levels it's not natural. Some level it is simply just an emotional reaction that then we have to learn how to sustain. A marriage or, or a relationship. My wife's probably now. I got I got two of them. I got, I got to work on something that'll get upset my son now and I'll be all set. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, love's a funny. That's a funny, funny thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, I yeah. mean, it starts out as an emotion, but then you have to build build a life around it. And so right, and choosing to stay choosing. stay with it exactly. Yeah. That that makes it um, it seems stronger than more powerful. Then, exactly right because we're we're choosing it. It's not just a chemicals. Uh, forcing us into being ro- romantic robots. Right. right, right. Um, let's let's hear a story, Steve. Hear a would story. you mind? Would you mind reading? Um, sure. What What have you brought for us? What are you going to read? I today? brought the the first story in the collections. I thought, uh, a, it's I like the piece, and uh, it's a it's a short piece that we can make it through in one sitting here without my stumbling too much over the <laughs> over the reading on the microphone. Um, it's called Vanishing X, and uh, it's a piece. Um, about fathers and sons, and I had I'd lost my father a few years ago, and I wrote I wanted to write a very short piece that conveys the essence of what fathers give to a son and what fathers leave a son, and which you know crosses over in and of itself. But uh, so that's what and it's and it's written in, it's not in a straight it's my usual not straightforward stuff, and I'm, it has two voices. It's got a lot of dialogue between the father and the son, so I'll try to. Uh, distinguished for for you and make a father's voice of some sort. He, he's a father's. Oh, and um, just to mention also the opening line, um, Steve. You have to change it because of the. There's the a little regulation. curse word, but I'll make a. I'll and you'll know which word is changed. But I'll yeah. I won't. I won't swear and get us shut off the airwaves. Here, so. <laughs> thank, thank you. Right. So it's vanishing X. Man, man, man. Galilee in the bedroom tells me to poop or get off the pot. I have the door open so I can watch Dad in silk pajamas, his head propped up on three flat, fat pillows, his cheeks caved and spiked with whiskers he would not have tolerated before. He thinks I can't see him, but I do. I know you're still there. I call from the toilet. Dad's skin is the color of Parmesan cheese. His friend, Galilee, is large and dark. He helps me whenever Dad decides to hide beneath the bed. Just pretend I'm not here, Dad laughs, as if to imply we won't be able to do it. But if we take too long to get him up, he'll slap at our feet with his fists and want to know, what's the problem out there? I buckle my pants, wash my hands, come back into the bedroom when Dad lights a cigarette, though he hasn't smoked in years. Galilee is gone, unable to wait anymore. I watched him through the bathroom window walk outside and relieve himself on Dad's roses, aiming his stream toward the wild vine of thorn. McLaurin Park, Dad says, and points a bony finger. I answer, the first time you tossed a frisbee with me. Red Discraft, 175 grams, Ultra Star. Dad knew his stuff, has smoke in his lungs, tells me to go on. I describe all I recall. Pedal marks, he says. 
the restaurant you took me to after I left college. John Garfield, your favorite actor. September of 87. We drove down together from Barb's wedding. Got into it pretty good. You brought up Nixon. History will show. Dad coughs. The pills and water cover the night stand beside his bed. Dad leans over and drops his cigarette on the floor. When I go around to crush it out, he crawls off the other side, shuffles as best he can to the closet, and closes the door. Pretend I'm not here, he says. I can't do that. Just try. All right. I stand and wait to see what will happen. Summer of 99, he says. I thought you wanted me to pretend. Can you? No. Ha! I go to the closet and open the door. Dad has on one of Mom's old hats. Remember? he asks. I didn't know you still had that. Did you think I gave it away? I just didn't know. It's all here if you care to look. I take a step closer, lift the hat carefully from Dad's head, and put it back on the shelf. Let me help you, I say. If you don't mind. His head rolls on his neck, his frame as thin as pipe cleaner sticks. Look both ways, he says. Do your homework. Alex Pearsall. You introduced us. Got him to hire me. As an intern. All the same. You did the rest. Dad comes from the closet. Let's me, let's me help him back to bed. I should pee first, he says, and I take him to the bathroom. One for the road. He chuckles softly and closes the door. It doesn't hurt, he tells me. Not in the way you think. I don't know what to think. Pretend I'm not here, he says again. Can you see the roses outside? I want to distract us. I'm sitting, Dad answers, like a girl. Look out the window. Galilee pissed all over them. It's okay. Dad doesn't seem surprised. You remember? He says, and I wait for him to continue. Several seconds elapse, however. I call in, Dad? And he replies, Well, do you? I open the door, and he's standing naked in front of me. The idea of seeing him this way was unfathomable before the, the situation, unavoidable now. The shunt where the chemo went in is still in his chest, a porthole looking much like a hollow key to a strange wind instrument. Did you have an accident, I ask? St. Mercy's of the Valley. When I broke my wrist. Falling from your bike. You took me to the hospital in your barbecue apron. Lost my chef's hat in the wind. He slipped slowly past me, the back of his legs, his arms, and butt sagging like fleshy sacks of water halfway drained. He stands a moment at the side of the bed, feeling his feet on the floor and the force of gravity against him. All right, then, he says, and lies down, pulling the sheet up to his waist. Remember, he tells me, and slips one of the pillows from behind his head. In my hands, the weight is too much. It's as it's supposed to be, Dad says. Still, I feel if I let go, the pillow will crash through the floor. I want to quit, but Dad is smiling me, smiling and telling me, just pretend. I think again of McLaren Park, Dad with the Frisbee, and how hard I tried to learn. My throws, though, were erratic hooking every which way and often into the woods. Thumbs up, hands straight, your point of release is important. Dad was patient with me. He did his best to make me laugh and waited as I chased all of my bad tosses down. Once I went deep into the woods and couldn't find the frisbee and for a moment thought I was lost. I remember calling, Dad? Dad? And how he answered, I'm here, he said. I'm here. Thank, thank you, Steve. Thank you. Oh. Uh. That's a, sad, that's a sad one. Um, but thank you so much for reading it. Well, thank you for to asking us. me to read it. Um, and you're right. I hadn't realized that that to talk about um, 
instead of the content of it, just how reading it for you, you did have to change your voice yeah. because on the page it's it's indicated, it. right? But that was that. Uh, do it you, was horrible. I'm sure. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. It <laughs> seems like. Have you read that? Do you do this that? Not, no, I read read this, that I, not, I have not well. read that one a lot because it's a, such a shorter piece. I haven't read it. This is the perfect environment to read this in. I thought, and so. I yes. did, but I, had not, I have not read this one to an audience before, so. Oh well, there. well thank you. All right, it, you could, it seemed like you had because the voice you you did really well. Thank you. Um, well, one one other note before we move away from your book, Giraffes, um, by Atomic Atomic Quill Press, uh, this year published by them. Um, there was a moment where I I just thought I had a little laugh. Um, it was in your story. Um, oh, I hope I don't butcher this, but Korematsu Love. Korematsu Love. Korematsu Love. Um, uh, just. Towards the beginning of the story, um, you have your, your protagonist hosts a Sunday program for local poets and writers called Words on the Air. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I thought that was great. I was I get razzed for the name of this show, the Living Writers Show, and I thought Words on the Air. That's that's kind of funny too. So anyway, I I wanted to tell you. Okay, well that you can I use appreciate it. it. Yeah, <laughs> gonna just steal that. Well, um, let's um on that note of um apparent piracy, we'll take a short break and we'll be right back with Steve Gillis. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in with us, you're listening to The Living Writer Show, and today Steve Gillis is in the studio. Um, so, Steve, that, that, that's the la- vanishing act. The, tell, tell us about your, your take on it, because people are saying it's sad. Write about something happy. Well, again, it's about, it came to me when I was, uh, after I'd lost my father, and losing a parent, most of us do suffer that, um, and to say that this is a sad piece, to me, the, the essence of the piece is that your father or your mother, whatever the case may be, um, does stay with you. They're always there, even though even though they pass on, they are they are with you. So that's the essence of the story, that they're going back through all these events that where they've had a, a relationship. And um, when the father, I mean, there's some ambiguity. Uh, does he die in the bed himself? What's the deal with the pillow? That's just kind of creates this whole... Um, 
attention. Yes. But, but I leave yeah, that to the, the hey, What is that? What is that? <laughs> well, um, but the way the story ends to me isn't sad because he's there. The father's there. Like my father's here now. I mean, even though he's he's been gone for three years, he's uh, his essence is always with me. So, so to me, that's an uplifting thought. Other people say, "Oh no, it's so sad." It's not sad. Yeah, and well, and 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 you actually have the in and in the story, it ends with the father saying, and he's saying it. It's not like a ghost saying it. So, so the the in the story, he's very very present. So you're saying, right? It's well, you have an exit, like in a, a metaphysical way. You're still you. you he's still he's still with you. That's why you have the father a few times in the course of the story saying, you know, pretend I'm not here because he's trying to tell his son, you know, there's going to be a time start I'm, I'm learning not here. a bit. But again. it ends with, hey, I, when you think you're lost, I am here. So. Right. Well, I'm glad. Thank you for pointing that out. Oh, That's wow. true. Because, okay. yeah, for, <laughs> people do say that to writers. Right? Well, you can but get you need... the cliff notes at, at Borders, or Shaman Drum, I should say. Cause... <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we get get it at the drum. That's right, get it at the drum. Get everything at the drum. <laughs> and then, and let's see, you've got a, a novel coming out next year. Right. Right? And um, Temporary People. Yes. And uh, I, I, I love the quotes. So, so that's something that you do for each of your, your novels. You have uh, quotes that begin the book. It's, it's sort of a frame. Well, most, to, uh, most to writers read. will try to. It's, it's, it comes to you over. I mean, a novel takes so long to, to write. So if you can find something that, that jumps out at you during the course of the, of the writing it, and you say, wow, this would be a, a perfect little quote to have at the beginning of the book. Sure. It, uh, and those three quotes uh, do work. I mean, if you want to read them. You can, or, uh, or no, no, it's more. Let's, you want let's, me to read them. All right. Yes. Um, all right, well, one day uh, is, is just a Zen saying, uh, you beat the grass and probe the principle only to see into your nature. Right now, where is your nature? And that's, that's interesting because right at chapter one, the, the, the word nature is right there in your, your first sentence, too. Right. What, so what direct is, connection. Everything is about, we all have, have an innate nature. We're all, we're all human beings, but we're all slightly different, but we're all trying to find our way to what is our essence, what is our core, what, what makes us tick. And a lot of life is about um, going against what comes, comes natural. I mean, you couldn't recognize I mean, we could turn this into a therapy session here, but um, well, then we'll have to charge. Oh, won't we? okay. <laughs> um, Send your your envelopes to WCBN. Um, finding out what what it is we want to do and become, finding happiness. Um, a lot of people fight. I mean, I'm a perfect example. I I, I always go for the difficult course, um, um, which is which is folly. In, in, in the grand scheme of things. so But just finding the right, doing what's right. A lot of people take the easy road and they end up at a dead end. I mean, I'm using a lot of mixed metaphors and, and <laughs> don't, none of my students write, write like that. What about oh. the high road? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you, so you, and you're teach, this is a good, well, not to take it away from philosophy, but, but you're, you also, you teach writing. Yeah, I'm not teaching Eastern... this semester, but I have, I, I taught, I teach a writing class at Eastern Michigan. I've got so much on my plate that I'm not teaching this semester, but I teach a, uh, a writing class, creative writing class at, at Eastern. I really enjoy it. Um, and that's with fiction? Is that what it's? Yeah. Okay. Um, or the short story? or we what, what I do in my class, which all, every semester shocks the students, I say we're going to write one story and we're going to rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it. And they look at me like I'm crazy. They're like, what? Can I just hand you in you know, a story? Then I've got this other idea for a story. And I'm like, uh, no. Um, you need to, the way to learn how to write is to rewrite. 
And they, these are, you know, 20-something-year-old kids who are in a writing, an upper-level writing class. And they've well, ne- when did you, and they when never did you get revision? Because like, isn't that something that we, it's natural to resist, right? Because you, when it you're young, you think, I've given you the gold. Why do I need to? <laughs> no, it's true. When I first started out, I thought, well, if I'm a writer, shouldn't I get it right the first time? And isn't it all about just ideas and slapping them on the page and then you move on? But no, to, to the craft, the art of writing is in the rewriting, to, to paraphrase them. Um, it's definitely true. And, and invariably, by the third week of the class, the students come and say, wow, I, you know, I'm learning so much from rewriting. I didn't know this was in the story. And, you know, we workshop them during the course of the semester. So, um, I mean, other teachers do this, but I, I, I take it to the extreme and say, we're just going to do one story and write it and rewrite it and rewrite it. And I have some, you know, they'll, they'll do 10 drafts during the course of the semester, and it, it turns out to be a much better story. Right. And that's one way of, of actually proving it. Because I feel like I say that a lot, too, about like the revision, even for, for college writing, for, for comp classes, where it's really important. It's, it's a, an important part of the component. Oh, you can say it till you're blue in the face, but... Y- they don't want to do it. I mean, they're younger and they got all this energy and they're like, oh, but I got this idea here. Like, or I get bored. I want to write something. It's like, no, settle down. Learn the craft. I mean, there was just an article in this, this past uh, issue of uh, Poets and Writers on the great writer Stephen Dixon. And he's in his 70s now and still working every day at his craft and he says he write, he rewrites every page 40 to 50 times which might be a little extreme but right, but he says right. 40 to 50 I mean I rewrite I rewrite constantly that's the only way you turn it into art I mean if it was that easy to do in a first draft you know anybody could do it and believe me most people can't so. right and there's even some people who actually find um, solace and comfort in having something to rework rather than Definitely facing true. right the empty page or the um, as long as you don't reach diminishing returns but generally if you know what you're doing you're rewriting for a purpose and it's Again, I tell my students that it's a, it's a process, and you have to understand the process of writing. And the only way you do that um, is through experience, through learning how do you write. Um, Charles Baxter, who used to teach at, at yeah, Michigan. Yeah, wonderful writer. Yeah, he said, um, you, you, again, to paraphrase, but he said, you, you can't even become a writer till you spent 10 years writing crap, which is, <laughs> which is true. You know, you have to spend, I mean, you, you don't go out of... Uh, you don't leave undergraduate and be, you're, snap your fingers and you're a doctor. No, you got to go through, you know, a lawyer or an Indian chief or whatever. Um, so people think they can write. No, you have to learn how to write. You got to spend years and years before you know what the heck you're doing. And I was arrogant at that age too. I thought, oh man, I'm, you know, I'm I'm great at. But no, you have to learn how to write. And and persevere with it. Persevere, definitely. There so, you go. So how how does that figure into your writing life? Because you've got we've got your books here on the table. You've got um, another no- novel pending, a short story collection pending. So um, I've persevered. I spent a lot of years, you know, working in complete solitude and anonymity. So um, it is it is persevering. And you have to love it. I mean, this is what I do. I, the, the notion of not writing is is unfathomable to me. So it is what I do. But I I stuck with it, and most good writers musicians teachers anything stay with it. with it well yeah. and we mentioned this we sort of we mentioned we touched on it briefly the broad 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 street press um brook street. Bro- yeah brook street sorry brook street um so and it's a lovely cover like i wish sometimes we could shoot a visual out to everyone it for walter falls um and and you designed you had a say how did you pick brook street and then and and now there's some because um, I went to their website actually, and it looks like it hasn't been updated because it yeah, says this, that one your book from 2005 is upcoming. Yeah, the weight not, of nothing. A, I, so, do you want to hear the whole story? Well, yeah, yeah. Start us off. I might have to <laughs> do the station my, ID, but of my publishing. <laughs> well, where to begin? Um, 
I could I could start by saying, how do people get published? Um, the process of, of getting published is again. The, first of all, you got to know, hope that you've produced something that's that's worthwhile. Um, and, and it seems like you're sending out a lot because with those six pushcart nominations, right? You're sending your work out to a lot of literary magazines. My see, stories, yeah. The stories, stories get, yeah. The stories, yeah. You send out, but you, yeah, yes. Stories are different from novels. You don't want you don't want to um, send them out to too many places. It's expensive too, but. Um, I had sent out the story behind Walter Falls is I had I had written it and I took uh, I took a, a, a route that uh, many people wouldn't advise, um, which is I rejected the notion of getting an agent. Um, and if I could talk about this for quite some time, that people, is interesting. Yeah, I've, okay. I, um, the whole the whole playing field is changing, and what what agents do can do should do. The notion that you can't get a publisher to look at your work um, unless you have an agent is not true and it's and it's falling by the boards all the more now um i mean especially now i can i can speak as a publisher running design books we don't care if you you know we just look at the work if the work is good the work is good um but how much are you receiving oh steve lots. see so how do you how do you how do you get through it? How do you and how many people do you have working with you? We're bringing, I guess we're going to go everywhere with this conversation. Go, we'll get back. Um <laughs> you want we look at manuscripts, um, and you can tell pretty quickly. You can tell pretty quickly. I mean, you, certainly as a writer, you would hope you would hope that the people that are reviewing your material um, will take a an extended look. But in reality, since <laughs> I'm not sugarcoating anything, um, if 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 your work isn't showing promise within the first couple pages. Um, we know, and all publishers know, and all readers that are employed by publishers. We have interns. Um, we have other. We have editors who who read for us as well as myself and Dan. You can tell pretty quickly if something's good or if something, because we have so many submissions that we can tell within a couple of pages that well, this isn't even going to cut to the top of our of our slush pile. So, so y- your work has to be strong. Um, but and when you're saying good too, that might seem like uh, you could qualify it by saying good sometimes equals things that are recognizable. Like I've, I've, um, but it sounds like what you're looking for. Um, what am I trying to say here? For Dzenk is also unusual voices, like un, or unusual constructions where where you're saying well, they're not fitting in at other places necessarily. So, but but do you see? I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes people might not, dis, dis, um, discard something if it's so unusual. Like the first Picasso well, certainly was true. probably ugly, like a cubism thing. Oh yeah, uh, people but, railed against cubism. Um, but we're not. We're looking for a strong writing. Period. End of discussion. Strong writing. And whatever form that's brought to us in, um, and generally we do like a more modern voice. Um, um, what does that mean to a modern voice? What does a modern voice mean? Um, how do I describe that? Uh, just not in your, your usual um, by-the-numbers sort of prose style where everything is uh, who, what, where, when, is setting up the story very neatly. I mean, leaving a little... The the essence of the narrative is contained in what's not said sometimes. Um, this is a more poetic voice. Um, 
And we're not we're, we're not going out of our way to find experimental writing. I want that to be clear. We're we're, we're just looking for great. I mean, Roy and, and Yannick Murphy, who's our second book in a bear's eyes, wonderful writer. She just has a novel coming up from Little Brown, and we're publishing her collection. Another example. This is someone who's won awards as a short story writer, but the the big houses who have published her novels wouldn't touch her collection. And we said, why? This her writing is phenomenal. So we grabbed it up, and again, it was an example of wow. Why didn't we think of that? And it's like well. That's why Dan and I are here. <laughs> right, um, right. So, and her writing is just, it's just brilliant writing. Um, and that's, it, it separates. If you, if you read enough manuscripts and enough books, it, it becomes clear pretty, pretty quickly. Pretty soon. So okay. we went off on a complete tangent. How we and, we'll, <laughs> and let's, and let's come back. We'll come back to, we'll start with Walter Falls after, after the break. Okay. Um, you're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor, the Living Writers Show. We'll be back. with the Living Writers Show now. If you're just tuning in, um, we've got Steve Gillis in the saddle and um, we're talking about... we're, we're coming up to the end of the program because we've got this new time slot, 4.15 to 5.15. Um, uh, and so wanted to talk a little bit about the idea, Steve, of placing your work in the world. And so we've been sort of doing our dance around it because you've, <laughs> you've, you're, not, you're a writer, so you spend solitary time, which you say you don't mind, and of course. And, and then you've got all this, you're very, um, you're producing a lot of work and you've got avenues, so you're placing it in the world. Um, and then you're now you've started a, um, a a publishing house to help others place theirs, their work in the world. So maybe if we could um, want to start with Walter Falls, the, well, the sure. book, okay. and then we'll we'll see. Well, Walter Falls is my my first novel that I I'd written material before that I didn't send out because I was still in the uh, that ten year frame of writing stuff that I knew wasn't ready. But Walter Falls was the first book I really felt was ready for the world. 
and I was told you have to get an agent. And um, I, sh- I should uh, preface by saying I-, I don't philosophically I have something wrong with agents because the middleman that I don't think that they, they they do all that they can or should or how necessary they are. That said, there are some wonderful agents out there. Uh, we've gotten work submitted to Zank from agents, and they've been great. We've got uh, work submitted from agents that we've then had to work with, and these agents have been nothing but a pain in the rump, uh, mudding the waters. But so I didn't get an a- I, I didn't get an agent, and I sent my my Walter Falls out there on. And what on, time frame are we talking? What year is? Well, this? the book came out in two thousand three, so this is like uh, what probably early two thousand two, early in that late two thousand one. So it's okay, because that's what I was wondering. So like, does it take you twice as long? to get a foot in the door without an agent or no not well an agent might open see the way an agent works um they only have their own little circle of of publishers they can deal with and they can't go to the same well if they have a book by you know amy jones um and they go to to acme publishing with it they can't keep going back to them with there's so so many times they can present them their work so they've got their own little sphere in which they operate whereas if you aren't connected to an agent your hands aren't tied and you can contact who you want now whether or not the publishers will look at it but i found that they do i found i sent i sent waterfalls out to a few places they all read it they did say, you know, who who the heck are you? Um, <laughs> but then I, um, without naming names, uh, a, a very reputable uh, independent press, um, really nice press, uh, was interested in Walter Falls, and they told me, don't send it anywhere else. We really like this book, and we'll get we'll get back to you. So I was excited and naive, and and you waited, I, and I waited, yeah. and I waited, and I waited, and then I said, well, this is silly. So I sent it to to Brook Street. Um, and uh, the the publisher at, at Brook Street read Walter Falls and flew out to Michigan to sign me, which was really pretty. That's cool. impressive. That was too, impressive off it? the bat. Then it went downhill from okay. there. Okay. Yes. So and then I I told the other publisher that I'm going to go with with Brook Street because they actually signed me to a two book deal. By that time, it, the process had gone on so long that I was almost finished with the weight of nothing, my second book. So they they acquired both, and I told this other press, and they were annoyed with me. <laughs> it was amazing. They were annoyed with me for signing, even though they'd kept me on the hook for so long. What was this press like? Was it? This is a great press. I, I mean, I still have dealings with them. I okay, like so them. Okay, so you'd rather not name them then? It's is that good, it? Or well, I mean, yeah. I mean, okay. they're, they're 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 very good. I don't blame them. I don't blame their editors at all. It was someone above over. It's it was editors sometimes find the work they really like and their hands get tied. Mm. So that's what happened at this press. This is a, it was a really nice other press. Okay. Um, well, because um, other things are in motion and they probably only have a certain number of books to publish each year. Well, and then the, uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the marketing people say, okay, what are we going to do with this? And then there's, there's decisions that have to be made that aren't predicated on the, uh, the quality of, of the material. But, but Brook Street was a smaller press and you probably, and you believe they impressed you by coming out. They impressed not to make me a off the bat. And they, they, you designed the, because how much power do people usually have with their, their covers, right? Well, like that's, yeah, the bigger the press, the less control you as a, a writer have. Um, I, we actually had a cover guy who went off on this tangent and making these covers I didn't like, um, and I had this idea for Walter Falls, and I said, well, why can't we just do this? And it got kind of silly, and finally the publisher at Brook Street stepped in and said, whatever cover, cover makes you happy, which is nice. Um, right, right. It's the only thing I asked for. I don't, you know, no writer, I could tell there's many friends I have that they, let, you know, they went to the table, went to the mat with that about uh, not liking the cover. I mean, you want to have a cover that you like on your book. My goodness. Yes. Uh, but that's pretty much where the control begins and ends, if they're going to grant you any sort of uh, say, because the... Then I was promised the moon 
on tours and 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 reviews, getting reviews, and and, and, and what happened then? Did that did that come? It just didn't, didn't have the avenues by which to approach these these sort of things, and uh, and, and you hear this all the time, uh, all the time, um, with indie presses who have the who have the best intentions, but then they just don't know how to how to how to grease the machine. So how is Dzenk then going to? Uh, well, okay. Well, one quick question before bringing it back to Dzenk. Then, so how are you sure that Black Lawrence Press, like, are I know them. They've yeah, okay. I've, I've uh, they're good people. And well, good people can have good intentions. That's true. And and so Dzenk, how can you ensure that this won't be with sort us of a at Dzenk? Yeah, that well, because we've to uh, the... we we are Dan and I are really dedicated to the process and there's and and having been a writer who's experienced the the short end of the stick as far as getting the publisher promising you the moon and then not doing anything for you uh dan and i have have no intention of of not doing everything we can we've already set the, the wheels in motion we've, we've got a, a pr person um we we've got reviews lined up we've got a tour lined up we've got a budget that's set for each each book i mean we understand that it's not just okay that's printed isn't this cool look at the book we put out and good luck to you no we know that the part of being a publisher is also the getting, distribution getting it on the shelves getting yeah getting, getting the, the author attention. out there getting people to right. recognize that this is a that's a book that we believe in and uh, we think should be read so that's that's all part of it and, and, and neither Dan or myself would ever, ever enter into this sort of venture if we hadn't thought all of this through and so you've got like a 10-year plan or like a 20-year plan in place for... we do I'm, a, I'm hoping to be alive in 10 or 20 <laughs> years but that's that's, that's number on one wood. on the plan it's there the you go the living writer's show there so you go you're <laughs> halfway there okay um, no we definitely have a, have a business plan in place We've got the funding. We we are we are here for the duration. There's no question about it. And so and so this is so Dzenk is something that you do after three o'clock and before three o'clock you're writing. You've right. got your, your although writing it kind of life. bleeds over with I get so much stuff coming across I have to peek at my emails. But yeah, I try to um, try to limit my focus. I mean, I try to keep my focus on my writing during the writing day and then um, go to Dzenk. And Dan is uh, full time. He's our executive director, so that's his his gig. So we're we're around the clock and I keep these ridiculous hours and so does dan so because um, you don't have to sleep too much steve no, sleep, I don't sleep sleep's overrated <laughs> okay well hope, but you do see your family right <laughs> do see my family yes um well thank thank you so much for being on the show today um and 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 taking the time to talk to us about your writing we've got um so so we we want to let everyone know that so you can get giraffes um, in in stores, in stores now, on, right? On, Do you have any readings coming up that that you'd like to mention? Like, are you going to? I'm be done. A, I'm done. Right. I'm, done I'm, with I'm This is this is this is a big thing for me coming on the radio because I'm kind of like a behind the curtain kind of guy. I don't come out of my my hole too much. But uh, but yet you're so so in, a part of the co- writing community. Yes, That's great. <laughs> I operate. Uh, Behind the scenes, I like doing it that way. But no, I I've, I did some readings early on for giraffes, and I'll do some because uh, temporary people. I really am high on this novel, and uh, Black Lawrence is in New York, so we're gonna do. I'll go to New York. We'll do some. We'll do some readings for that next year, and uh, um, that'll yeah. be great. Yeah. That'll be great. And then um, let's see. And then you've got the. Does the um, sh- the second story collection have a title yet? That's coming out in two thousand nine with Black Lawrence. It has a title that we're probably going to change. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> it's one of those that we've gone back and forth on. So, um, yeah, but it's... Uh, and new projects in the works? I'm working on a new novel now. I just started about a month ago. Um, 
um, I just finished wrapping up the collection and went. I had this idea for the novel and uh, went right into it. Right then. Into, is that normal? Is that you don't really? Yeah, I don't you always have something in the hopper. Yeah, it's like Iris Murdoch. I always remember the story that she told that she uh, she'd finish a novel, walk once around the kitchen table, and start another novel. That's pretty much what I do. I you know I I write every day. Um, the creative there's so much to write about and i just love the love the process so i'd had this not that it's in any way easy you can just go from one to the next that easily but since it is a process and you have to beat yourself up i figure well why waste any time just jump back in and start beating yourself up with a new project so yeah yeah well it seems like there might be a sense of urgency about it like we're only given so much time right there you go no um, that's true it's true and it's taken me this long to get to where I, i know what the heck i'm doing um that i mean people say oh you're really prolific well not really. I mean, yes, now things are starting to cook, but um, you know, there were there were years where I was learning my craft. And Walter Falls took about four years to write. So when it came out in two thousand three, then people saw that uh, the way to nothing came out in two thousand five. So they think, oh, you wrote that in, in a year, and then it, right. it takes a process to get it. And I was like, no, because there was a process of selling it, and so there was like another four years while I was working on the way to nothing. And another thing I did, we running out of time. I can, Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I did everything. I was saying about do things backwards about not getting an agent. I got an agent after I sold Walter Falls, so it's kind of backwards that so way. So now you have an agent. Yeah, and then I just jettisoned. Okay. There's a whole story with that, too. I kept her for <laughs> about six years. She's a wonderful woman, but um, you don't really... I, you well, it's inter- you well, it's interesting. I mean, you've told us you've told us a lot, Steve. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me, um, Steve Gillis. Uh, so you can get giraffes in the stores now. The short story collection, the giraffes by uh, giraffes, right. Stephen Gillis. And um, thanks, thanks to engineer Jesse Johnston. And thanks for listening, Ann Arbor. Thanks for streaming in Seattle, Cairo, and England. Uh, Coming weeks, we've got Laura Kasishki coming up, uh, Charlie D'Ambrosio, poet Dan Gerber will be in town reading at Shaman Drum towards the end of September. Um, so thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time. All of his hands, the mountains outlast the summer. A follow gave us a number, our very own. All of my friends, all of my so-called brothers, we are dying, we are tired. And if you think that a simple solution is retribution, Freeze-dried man's scald insinuations Why am I standing? Is this my home? All of my tears The band to be heard are missing Where are the brides? Why aren't you kissing?
Serious strikeout to end the top of the second inning. And Brower is now just the eighth pitcher in Michigan Wolverines baseball history to strike out 200 batters in his career. Howell doing everything he can here to keep the game alive for his team. Eric Feldkamp still working off the stretch. Yeah, so since he came on. Jeff Kunkel flashes out the sign. Setting up outside. 2-2 pitch swing and a miss. He struck him out and the ball game is over. Derek Feldkamp strikes out Jacob Howell on a 2-2 curveball. The Buckeyes are retired in the ninth. They leave two on. The final score here at Ray Fisher Stadium, the first ever night game played at the pitch. Michigan 11 at Ohio State 3. Hi everyone and welcome to the Daily Sports Report. Rushi Vias here alongside Stu Zas and Rob Solomon. And uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, kick it over to Stu. Stu, you got some Michigan news for us today? I sure do. Uh, men's tennis tops off the headlines as Matko Maravic will begin his senior season here with his career high being ranked number 21 nationally for singles. So congratulations to Matko. And then in women's tennis, Chisako Sugiyama has been ranked number 68 nationally. How's that for the pronunciation? That was perfect. <laughs> for uh, the women's team, women's, women's tennis team. And the women's cross-country 